What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. Hey everyone, today we are joined by Roxanne Pepin. She's currently based out of Spain, but works for Rewind, an Ottawa-based startup as a revenue operations specialist. She manages all the tech that powers Rewind's sales, marketing, and success teams. Before carving a niche in operations, Roxanne wore many digital marketing hats, working for an SEO agency, then a tech company. She's actually a computer science dropout turned writing grad, where she also spent a bunch of time in content marketing. More than just a fixer or a troubleshooter, she's a convergent thinker. Roxanne is described by her peers as a poised, knowledgeable Salesforce admin and a HubSpot platform whiz with a knack for bridging departments together. Her journey growing into a role at one of the coolest companies in Ottawa is deeply rooted in mastery and pragmatic problem solving. Roxanne, we're pumped to finally have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just jump right in, Roxanne. We've known you for for a while. Uh, I gotta ask, like Phil mentioned in the intro, you're in Spain. So so everybody's sitting here in Canada thinking about, you know, moving abroad. Is it is digital nomadism as good as it looks from the outside? I'm not gonna lie, it's probably even better than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> the last time, like obviously, I saw you in Ottawa a few years ago uh, when we were working together briefly, like. How did how did Roxanne end up in Spain? Like, how did your career bring you to Spain and to support you there? And and what was the kind of the decision process that, that brought you there? Um, I'm going to be honest. My career did not bring me to Spain at all. <laughs> the other aspect of my life brought me to Spain. So my partner has a pretty cool job. He is a professional cyclist. So he races. Oh. Um, on the road he's a road cyclist races over in europe as you can imagine cycling is not huge in canada as it can only be practiced about half of the year um so basically we were together for a few years and spent 80 percent of our time apart so i decided that was enough of that looked for a job that would allow me to work remote um ironically started that job one month before the pandemic hit and the rest mm-hmm. of the world joined me in this remote life. Um, but that's how, that's how I landed here. Very cool. And like right now you're, you're servicing a team of like, what, like 40 plus marketers and, and sales teammates. And I'd love to just like, um, maybe if you can touch on like the remote communications aspect of this, like you're obviously on a different time zone than most of the company who um, like mostly resides in, in Ottawa, right? So how do you kind of effectively communicate and, and collaborate with this team from your, uh, your home office in Spain? Yeah, it's actually not as hard as I thought it would be. And it's been pretty beneficial. Um, A lot of my role is like answering emails, answering Slack messages. Rewind is a very Slack heavy company. Mm -hmm. Slack messaging platform, not Mm -hmm. uh, slacking off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I actually find so I'm six hours ahead of most of the team, everyone that's in Ottawa. So it's actually been good because I've been able to focus my mornings on getting stuff done um, without distractions. And then when people kind of start logging in halfway through my day, I am able to focus my energy on them, um, hop on calls, hop on Zoom meetings, and really kind of dedicate that time to them. So it's been good. 
Um, I'm pretty clear with what my schedule is. I did shift my working hours. Usually I was like at eight to four back in Canada. Um, now I'm doing 10 to six, which ironically fits in with the Spanish lifestyle pretty well. They tend to do things pretty late in the day. Um, <laughs> so everyone knows my schedule. They know that if they've got something urgent, they got to hit me up before noon. Um, that being said, I'm also pretty flexible. I will often take meetings after you know, after 6 p.m. if it's necessary, but that's yeah. cool. I'm, I'm also an, an early riser. So I, I totally empathize with the, the idea of being able to like do deep work, like before um, some of your other colleagues in, in America are, are waking up. I know, I know John is an early bird. I'm not as, as early as John, but I, I think you can totally relate with that as well. Eh? Oh, we shouldn't talk about how early of a bird. It like gets, gets people all riled up. Um, one thing that the Roxanne just jumps at me, like from the remote lifestyle, you started in the pandemic, like we're, we're, hopefully cross our fingers coming up to the end of the pandemic, you're working, you're going to be working with a hybrid company, right? Some remote, some people in the office. What are you guys thinking about? Like, what are you thinking about as like a full-time remote person in a hybrid environment? Like, how are you preparing? What advice do you, do you have for others in this situation or, or coming into this situation? My advice is find a great company to work for. Um, <laughs> so Rewind's always been pretty upfront about like respecting people's time and more so during the pandemic. I mean, people are at home with kids, people are at home um, with shitty internet connections, people are, you know, everybody's situation is different. So the company's really stressed like being respectful of people's time, um, whether you know, we're going back to the office or people decide to work from home. That's been left up to them. The way that we're approaching it is that we're not making it mandatory for people to go into the office. So okay. everyone's really left to their own judgment as to whether they want to be in the office or not. So we're really preparing to um, cater to those who are at home, cater to those who are in the office. Uh, we'll have hybrid meetings. So you'll have the option to you know, join over Zoom or join in person if you can and if you want. Um, so I think Rewind's done a really great job at preparing us all for that. It's kind of funny. I was remote before the pandemic for a month. So people got to learn a bit what it's like to work with someone who's remote before mm -hmm. everyone went to remote. And I got to learn what it's like to work with a team that was not remote while I was remote. Um, but it's it's worked out pretty great. Gotcha. So a lot more autonomous and in, in, in giving everyone kind of the freedom of deciding to go back to a physical office or not. And yeah, like the main, main benefit of that you kind of mentioned is like the, the flexibility and schedule and kind of controlling parts of that. I find that something in, in the kind of like the ops world that's, that's a bit tricky is like um, getting to like control a lot of your work and picking like what you like to work on and stuff like that. But something that you mentioned uh, in a presentation to, to my students, I had you on as a guest speaker, like one of my favorite quotes you said was everything is doable, but it doesn't mean that you should do it. And so like on the topic of like being mindful of time and controlling your schedule, like maybe walk us through like some of the stories behind that mantra and, and uh, yeah, maybe it'll be helpful for, for some of the other marketers kind of in, in your shoes. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not someone who likes to say no when someone asks me to do something. And I have learned from that um, <laughs> a bit in the past. I've seen it too many times where like an intermediary or third party connection between two platforms fail. Um, and usually when that's the case, you don't really have much tracking as to what you missed during that time that um, 
there, that connection wasn't there. Um, so now I kind of just try to weigh how valuable an automation or a connection is against like how many tools it requires to be done. Um, native integrations between two platforms, great. If we can get it done that way, I typically don't have a problem um, saying yes and doing it. But mm -hmm. when it comes to, oh, well, I learned that we can connect this platform through this other thing um, to this other platform. That's when I just try to weigh how valuable it's really going to be before trying to actually build that out. Another thing that I learned is that everyone thinks that what they're asking for is super important at the time that they're asking for it. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I, I try to like let them stew for a few days, uh, <laughs> before I really try to tackle them. If it's something that I'm like, okay, I see how this could be valuable, but is it really that important? Um, and then if after a couple of days I go back and I follow up with them and they're like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. I'm like, well, it wasn't that important, was it? <laughs> it's, that, it's that classic, like how many times did they ask for it? <laughs> like I always, I remember I used to say this all the time, like wait till they ask three times because if they don't ask three times for it, they don't really need it. That was actually the best management advice you gave me, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. I'll take that into account. There's been cases where someone's like, oh, this would be super great. Can I get like a notification set up for when this happens? I need to know every time it happens. And then a week later, they're like, this is way too many notifications. Please stop it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, we could have avoided that in the first place by, you know, judging whether it was actually going to be useful or not. It's so important. Yeah. I was going to say, it's a classic, it's a classic marketing operations thing where yeah. it's like, oh yeah, you, you want to know if this is working? I'm going to notify the hell out of you. Like I'm going to notify you in the sleep. I'm going to SMS you. I'm going to chat you. I'm going to email you. I'm going to Slack you. And then you're like, no, please. I don't even care if it's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. Like sometimes in, in an ops world, like um, you're, you're getting like questions and like project ideas. And oftentimes you're asking yourself, like, does, does something already exist today that like does something similar and we can just kind of like work off of that. And oftentimes like when a company or, or like someone in the company is asking for like budget for a new tool and like trying to implement a new tool, like as an ops person, it's so important to make sure that like existing stack, like can surface some of the, the, the solutions that like the new tool is supposed to solve and like a big pain point there is like training the folks on like knowing the stack and like the powers of the existing tool so as someone who like works with a, a big team and like you're not just like servicing marketers you're not just marketing ops you're not just like uh, sales ops you're kind of like wearing all three hats as a revenue ops specialist so um yeah, walk us through that a little bit, like how as someone in, in that team, you get a chance to like not always play on the front lines with customer facing stuff, but like a big focus is training teammates on the existing stack. So how do you handle that? Yeah, so I've said it before, like as an ops person, I see my user is really like my team. I'm there to make sure they're doing their job as efficiently as they can because their job is to, you know, talk to their users and get people to sign up for our platform and give us that revenue. Um, it's uh, in my best interest to make sure that they know how to use the tools because then essentially they bother me less. <laughs> um, and they do everything more efficiently, which means they could just do more of it. Yeah, the other thing that you mentioned is like basically tool overlap. Marketers love to come to me with, hey, I saw this new tool that does X, Y, Z. Can we add it to our tech stack? And I'm mm -hmm. like, great, we already have this other tool 
that does that and more. So really just making sure that we know the ins and outs of the tools and are communicating that to the people that are using them is really important. I think one of the interesting things around MarTech and RevOps and, and all of this right now is utilization of tools. Like we, we joke about it so much on the show, the MarTech landscape of doom that's like proliferating and it's like every day there's a thousand new MarTech tools. But I don't know, in your experience, do you think people are actually utilizing the tools that they have? Not to the fullest, no. Um, and I'll say like Rewind has a huge tech stack and that's been one of the challenges of my position uh, lately is just making sure that everybody knows what these tools can do um, and that everybody has the right level of access in order to use them in a way that's gonna mm -hmm. like be best for their role and in a way for them to get the most out of our data. Yeah, and I think one of the things that happens so much in, in in marketing and MarTech is is way easier to deploy something new than it is to figure out what's already in your tech stack. Like it's it's even just ignored on the bill. Like, what do you have this for? Like, I don't know what this is for, but we're still paying for it. But don't worry about that. We got this other new thing that I just got pitched by the sales team. So like yeah. talk us through kind of digging through these these artifacts and coming up with like you know, the missing pieces that already maybe exist in your tech stack. You know, that really gives me a little bit of PTSD. What you said, <laughs> it is a lot easier to just bring in something new than to fix something else. Yeah, owning the tech stack and really knowing what is part of it is probably the biggest part of my job. So yeah, so as, as an ops person who's servicing like um, three different departments and working remotely and training these users on all the stack that you, ex you have already, like something else that's on your plate is helping other folks like accomplish integration projects or an implementation project. And like something that I've struggled with in, in an ops dedicated role is that you don't always get to play a role on strategy and like you don't always get to, to like the, the chance or the bandwidth to say like this project that I think is going to have a big like framework impact or like long-term impact. You, you don't always get a chance to get to those because there's so many fires to put out. And so like, I, this is kind of a fun question, that, um, but like if, if we were to like remove those barriers, like imagine for a second that like your, your revenue ops role, you, you, you like hire two or three people and they're doing the reactive stuff and you're more on the strategy side and you get to come up with a project. So if you could remove all those barriers and constraints, what project or idea would you love to tackle uh, or be kind of known for solving? Yeah. I honestly, I love implementation projects. So I like, I like the new and shiny as opposed to the old and dusty, I guess you could say. Um, I have in the past kind of adopted a HubSpot instance that somebody else built. Uh, and I've adopted a Salesforce instance that was a nightmare. Um, so when I came into Rewind and part of the reason I was brought in was to implement a CRM, um, and we, which was HubSpot at the time, that was like my dream come true. I like being part of something from start to never finishes, but like <laughs> knowing the ins and outs of the platform um, and being able to build it in a way that I see fit in a way that my team will be able to use it most effectively. Um, so now we're implementing Salesforce a year and a half later. Um, and again, because we have, don't have Salesforce in place, we have HubSpot um, moving those processes over 
and starting fresh with Salesforce is going to be a really good way to clean out what's kind of been built over the last year and a half. Very interesting. Are you, are you planning on still using HubSpot for like top of funnel stuff or was there like another email automation tool on top of the, the CRM that you're using for it? We are still going to be using HubSpot for support and for marketing at this time. Um, we've really ramped up our sales ops over the last year and a half that I've been here. I think we were, we had two people on the sales team when I started a year and a half ago, and now that's like 15. Um, so you can imagine how the processes and stuff have changed. Um, so we've just kind of outgrown HubSpot as a sales tool. Uh, so we're adding it to our tech stack. We're not necessarily replacing HubSpot altogether. It's good. Any HubSpot reps listening on this call will be will be at ease a little bit for at least a couple of years with you guys. You know, it's interesting around the implementation side because I think like you hit something on the head where like, you know, the benefit of wisdom and experience over time, like I know you've worked with HubSpot for many years, like coming into a new company, coming into a new tool set, like there are so many like mistakes or just inefficiencies in this system. So like talk us through a little bit about how like you're approaching the Salesforce instance, like maybe at more of a high level to, to fix some of these processes and like what things are you really excited about, about diving deeper into? I'm going to start by saying that I feel like I was really lucky to have been thrown into a nightmare of a Salesforce um, instance and a semi-nightmare of a HubSpot instance in the past because I've learned so many things that I should not do. <laughs> um, so it was kind of a, it was a big learning process because I didn't, before I got those platforms, didn't know how to use either. So knowing first what all the things we shouldn't do and then being able to kind of digest what we've put in place in the last year and a half and see at this company with this process exactly what was working and what wasn't working um, and then translate that into something more robust mm -hmm. um, due to tools and such it, with Salesforce is going to be, I think, a big move for us. Yeah, I think one of the things like it's interesting what you, what you touched on because in my experience, the operations uh, landscape is is hard to acquire these skills because you've got to acquire them either through the school of hard knocks by screwing up an instance as, as I have tons of experience screwing up Marketo and Salesforce instances myself and then learning from those lessons and becoming like, oh, like I'm actually an expert. I understand how the system should be run. And, and the division between those two points is really hard for people who, like I know a few folks that I coach on the side who are breaking into operations and they're handling their first instance and they're like, this is daunting. Um, what advice would you give you go back in time? What advice would you give to your past self to prepare you for, for this stretch of your own, your own career? Adopt something that's broken. <laughs> um, really like if you're in a company and you have people that are willing to walk you through what they do, learn from them hmm. essentially. So when I started at like an SEO agency, I was a writer. Um, but I, you know, made friends with the ads guys, made friends with the SEO guys, made friends with, and I say guys, that is the wrong term to be using. People. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but really just learning from everyone was kind of the best thing I was able to do. Yeah, I guess that just falls into the fact that I've always been 
like a really curious person, which my mother will assure you of. Um, <laughs> I don't really have any regrets or times where I was like, oh, I wish I could go back in time and like change this or I would have done this differently because I probably wouldn't have ended up where I am today. Um, I didn't know that this was a career path I could take. I just kind of, you know, took everything and then learned everything and decided what I liked most and specialized in that and ended up here. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. Like this, this is advice that we, we give to folks um, pretty often on the show. Like when you're early in your career, like join smaller companies, wear many hats, like figure out what it is that you enjoy doing. And I feel like you embodied that. Like you, you almost took like the traditional, like T-shape route where early in your career, you tried a bunch of stuff. Like you were in SEO, you were in content, like learning ads and like the, the ops career kind of like formulated itself as you naturally like specialized in, in something that was like a calling to you, right? Like you started as a software engineering, um, you started studying that and then you went to writing. Like, do you feel that like ops is a nice kind of in the middle between like computer science and, and creative writing? Is that kind of like why the career kind of naturally progressed to where, towards that? But maybe chat about that a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, as a kid, people asked like, what do you want to do? What do you want like your career to be and I never do I was like always changing and that's pretty evident of the fact that I went to university or started university uh in for computer science admittedly was not ready for university at that point in my life uh dropped out and then took a year to decide what I wanted to do and it was never really a question of like oh what do I want to be doing in 10 years it was more of like what can I do now that I will enjoy so then that's when I went into writing. I was like, well, I like writing. Let's explore that. Um, and then that landed me at a marketing agency. And I was like, great, marketing, love it. Um, moved on to a marketing generalist role. And I just, yeah, really liked being able to do all of those different aspects and figure out what I liked most. Um, the like automation and logic uh, that I've landed with now in this ops role just makes me think back of like, you know, maybe computer science was right for me, not in a way that like, I now regret not having continued, but there's a lot of that that goes into my current role. Like the, you know, I do a little bit of coding. Let's not kid ourselves, I'm not a coder, um, but I, I know my way around and I can kind of figure stuff out. And that math and that logic just comes into my role every day, so. I think you also said something else, which I think is interesting, which leads people into the ops world is that somebody on the marketing team is always going to need to be technical because somebody's always going to be asking marketing these questions that if you, if somebody on the team doesn't have the answer, somebody's going to have to figure out these kind of difficult things. And the idea of curiosity, right? Like getting a, a question that stumps everybody while somebody on the team has to like being stumped and being unstumped. So like, I don't know how often in your own day to day, like, do you find maybe just more for our listeners and for ourselves, but like, how often do you find like, you know, the answer versus, okay, I'm going to go dig. I'm going to go dig and figure out the answer. Like walk us through that a little bit. Uh, I know the answer probably like 15% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like, let me take this away. Let me mm-hmm. figure it out. Um, whether that's 
do we have this data or can we build this automation or can we do this? Um, but I've always been someone who's been pretty independent in that respect where I like to figure stuff out on my own in my role and how my roles evolved. I haven't really had someone that I was able to like someone that I was reporting to that knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? So it was, it worked for me. And I think part of the reason I ended up where I am is because I'm that type of person, because I was a, like able to just be like, okay, I'll figure this out on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walk us through like maybe um, like some of the projects that like revenue operations would kind of control over what like a typical marketing operations department might have. Like if you're putting yourself in the shoes um, like five years ago when you were like starting to decide like what you want to study, like maybe it's marketing, maybe it's not. But like why, what would you say to kind of get like entry level marketers excited about revenue operations? That's hmm, good question. Um Marketing operation, it's just a broader, a broader sense of the role. Um, every company that I've gone to has been like, well, we need sales and marketing alignment. Mm-hmm. Marketing operations person isn't necessarily going to be the one to take charge of that. A sales operations person isn't necessarily going to take charge of that because they're focused on what their job needs them to do uh, on a day-to-day. So like setting up everything for marketing, email, uh, automation, um, platform connections with like ads platforms and such. Um, and a sales person is going to be focused on, you know, Salesforce, but the rev ops person really, I see it as like an umbrella as you need to be aware of what each of these teams are doing to make sure that there's no overlap. Um, and this goes into processes, but tools as well. I've had, um, teams where, I came in and marketing was using one tool and Salesforce was, or sales, sorry, sales was using a different tool, but they essentially did the same thing. Mm-hmm. They'd had then two different data sets where they could have been learning from each other and sharing the data and, you know, getting more value out of it. I love those points. Like every, every company is trying to figure out like, how do we align marketing and, and sales a bit closer together? And I love that RevOps, like under your purview is also kind of helping um, the support team and the customer success team as well. Cause like, what is the goal of all three departments is to grow the company and generate revenue and make mm-hmm. customers happy, right? Like why do we need three separate departments with different metrics for all three departments and different stacks, like powering those So uh, yeah, I I love um, the revenue ops kind of angle there. And uh, it's definitely becoming like more and more of a popular job title. Like I I, I know for a fact that like folks are still calling this like marketing operations or or sales ops, even though like it is kind of this this dual role supporting uh, both functions. But something that's like really cool about your background is like you've you've done this ops gig in um, like almost at least like two high growth startups. Um, Like why or like part of this question is like the, the Ottawa tech line landscape as well but like um walk us through like why you think um there was a lot of benefits in in doing um some of the ops work in startup land as opposed to like joining a a bigger tech company for example yeah um uh this is another completely unintended part of my career journey i never like seeked out working for a startup i honestly when i was like thinking of my career in the early days, I was like, oh, I'm going to want to work for the government. I want like a cushy job where I job security benefits, all that stuff. Um, 
and then was in a position where I was like, well, I kind of just need to take what I can get um, and ended up working for startups and I would not turn back. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I realized how much I did not want a cushy job that is repetitive and day to day. So that's how I ended up in like high growth startups and it can be stressful, but it's great. I mean, it's always moving. There's always things to do. Um, it really allowed me to shape my role and end up where I am. If I was somewhere that had a more strict hierarchy, I never would have been able to be like, well, I have these five things that are part of my job. I don't really want to do this one anymore. So let's hire someone for that. Um, so it was great for that. Um, I liked, yeah, moving around. I like building a team and I kind of like having too much to do because I really don't like being bored (laughs) and I get bored easily. Um, so if I had to do the same thing every day, I'd go crazy. Um, and yeah, I don't see myself working for like a big giant company that could obviously change because everything in my career has changed as to what I intended it to be originally. Um, But I like being able to contribute to a team where I can actually see the success and say that I was part of it. I think that's like such a key thing. I know in my own career, like I woke up one day and I'm like, oh damn, it looks like I'm in a startup, but I've been working there for three years. I didn't realize it until, (laughs) until about halfway through my journey. I'm like, oh yeah. Um, But I think that the idea to have that, that feedback mechanism working in a startup, like it's hard to compare, at least for me, I haven't worked in, in a larger company. I've worked in consultancies and worked alongside them, but being like another cog in the machine versus being like somebody whose work is seen and, and uh, uh, affects the, the day-to-day, like that's so important to be able to actually improve and the ability to fail a little bit and then to learn from that. Like this is, this is pretty key, right? Uh, in your own career. Yeah, ability yeah. to fail for sure, right? Like in in the startup world is is definitely a, no no ending of opportunities there. And I think something you touched on, like in in that startup world, is like the the stress point there. Like wearing all these hats, like also comes with like being overloaded sometimes with like requests. And um, we love uh, kind of ending uh, our our interviews by asking uh, this question to all of our guests. And this is very much in line with the the stress point there. But um, you know, aside from eating KPIs for breakfast, what strategies do you take to stay sane and happy while balancing work and your personal life and dealing with all the stress that comes with wearing multiple hats? One really big one for me is having a separate space or like office that I can just leave. I love working from home. Don't get me wrong. If I can do this forever, I will. Um, Not that I don't like people. I love my team. I like being with them and whatnot. Um, but being able to just kind of leave my computer at the end of the day and not have to have it connected to me or like strapped to my hip all the time is, is a huge one. It allows me to disconnect and just enjoy all the other parts of my life. Um, the other thing is not having Slack notifications on my phone. I have Slack on my phone. I check it sometimes when I feel like I need to, but there are no notifications on there. My phone gets enough notifications as it is. It doesn't need that. (laughs) Um, People also know that. And if it's after hours and something is truly on fire, they know how to get hold of me. Um, On like the more personal note, I don't sleep with my phone in my room. It is in fact, like 
on a whole other floor of the house than the bedroom is. I love um, that. That's super cool. Eliminating that blue light in the bedroom was like a big thing for me. Um, so yeah, eliminating those distractions. This is kind of an ironic one too, <laughs> because considering I did social media management for an agency and now five years later, I've like completely stopped using Facebook and Instagram and most social media was not something I would have predicted for myself. Um, but it's been really good uh, for my mental health. It's helped me just like disconnect again, less notifications on my phone, which is great. And I realized kind of now I'll log on every now and then, and I will spend like five minutes. I'm like, okay, great. This is boring. I'm going to go do something, read something that's more educational. Um, it's, I was surprised at how little I actually missed it and how the heck I spent hours on those platforms before. I will never know. <laughs> <laughs> Love that advice, Roxanne. Um, yeah, feel free to, to plug anything. If there's anything you want to share, like I know you're, you're kind of active on, on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll share links to where folks can find you and, and reach out for more questions. Uh, I know you're a big fan of like giving back to um, the local community. Um, but yeah, huge thanks for taking a bit of time today on the, your, your Spain schedule. We're uh, very grateful for, uh, for having you on the show today. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.